Welcome to Advancing Word with Dr. T.D. Stubblefield. In chapter 55 of Isaiah, verse 11, God tells the prophet, So will my word be which goes out of my mouth. It will not return to me void without accomplishing what I desire and without succeeding in the matter for which I sent it. Standing on this promise, T.D. Stubblefield Ministries is committed to sharing biblical principles with individuals, families, churches, communities, and our world, believing that only the Word of God can advance us in God's perfect plan for our lives, where we can experience liberating faith, lasting hope, and unconditional love in a relationship with the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Here is Dr. T.D. Stubblefield with today's Advancing Word. There's a a word the Lord has placed upon my heart. We have actually read a portion of this text. But I want us to return to it. It's in the book of Acts. Acts is the sole historical book in the New Testament. It's the one book of history. The second volume of Luke's two-volume work, Luke-Acts. Turn to chapter 9. And we will read verses 10 through 19. And there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And to him said the Lord in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Behold, I am here, Lord. And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the street which is called Straight, and inquire in the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he prayeth. And have seen in a vision a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hands on him that he might receive his sight. Then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard by many of this man how much evil he hath done to thy saints at Jerusalem. And here he hath authority from the chief priests to bind all that call on thy name. But the Lord said unto him, Go thy way. For he is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. And Ananias went his way and entered into the house and putting his hands on him said, Brother Saul, the Lord even Jesus that appeared unto thee in the way as thou camest has sent me that thou mightest receive thy sight and be filled with the Holy Ghost. And immediately there fell from his eyes as it had been scales, and he received sight forthwith and arose and was baptized. And when he had received meat, he was strengthened. Then was Saul certain days with the disciples which were at Damascus. Amen. I want to share this morning from this passage and its larger context, and I really want to encourage you to read Acts chapter 8 and Acts chapter 9 as a background to this message. But I want to preach about God's motion and man's second. If you ever been in a meeting and some recommendation is passed, you know, someone makes a motion and then someone seconds it in order for a vote to occur. This is uh, truly one of the compelling passages in the New Testament. It is an account, in fact, one of three accounts 
in the book of Acts of the conversion, the very dramatic conversion of Saul, who became Paul on the Damascus Road. Paul, who was the most luminous and perhaps significant character and personage in the New Testament and in the evolution of the early church. This Paul who formerly was Saul, who became the most prolific writer of the New Testament. We owe practically two-thirds of the New Testament to the spirit-inspired authorship of the apostle Paul. This Paul who was apostle, pastor, preacher, teacher, mentor, and friend. This account of his conversion on the Damascus Road is fundamental to the life of the church. Not only then, but now. If we question the authenticity or the integrity of Paul's ministry, we have undermined much of what is central and essential to our life of faith. Here we find him in the text breathing and threatening out slaughter, almost like some ravenous beast to the Christians in Damascus. Saul was the enforcer. He was ahead of the Sanhedrin's death squad in their brutal and bitter persecution of the early Christians. Under his authority, men and women were dragged from their homes and put in chains because of their faith. He was there. If you read chapter 8, he was there standing in consent when Stephen, the first martyr of the church, was executed, stoned to death. But there is a fundamental question in the text. I want you to highlight it in your Bible because what we're doing this morning is trying to understand something. In chapter 9, verse 1, it says that Saul was against the disciples. But in the last verse of the text that we read together, notice what it says. In verse 19, it says he was with the disciples. You all see that? And a fundamental question in the text is, how do we move from Paul in chapter 9, verse 1, being against the disciples to verse 19 where he is with the disciples. And I want to suggest to you that it's because of God's motion and man's second. When God motions, all we can do is second. And we move from him being against the disciples in verse 1 to with the disciples in verse 19 because on Damascus Road, God made a motion and Paul had to second it. Three things that I want to look at this morning in the context of, of this chapter and its larger context in Acts is God's motion in relationship to God's sovereignty. God's motion in relationship to God's sovereignty. The chapter begins with Saul, 
the persecutor of the early Christians on yet another vicious and violent rampage. But God stops him in his tracks on the Damascus Road. And he is disarmed by the brilliance of a light from which luminous veil God speaks to Paul or Saul. And at the voice of the master and the Lord of his life, who speaks from within this luminous veil, Paul seconds God's motion. There is a point when God will get tired of our mess. We can slide for a while. But when God gets tired of our stuff, he knows how to get our attention. He knows how to deal with us. And that's why believers today, we don't have to really fight our battles. We can see this in the context of the text because God reminds Paul that he wasn't just persecuting the believers. He was persecuting him. We have a good shepherd and he can fight our battles. This encounter on the Damascus Road would transform Paul from a persecutor to a preacher. God motioned and Paul could do nothing else but second that motion. And recounting this experience, this traumatic and dramatic experience later in the book of Acts as he stood before the court of King Agrippa, this is what Paul said. He says, I could not help but be obedient to the heavenly vision. I know I had a mind to arrest and to torment and torture the saints at Damascus, but I wasn't disobedient to the heavenly vision. What we have in this text is an example of the overruling will of God. There are only three ways anything can happen in life. Those things that are directly caused by God. Those things that God allows to happen permissively. We couldn't have got out of the bed this morning without God's permissive will. We couldn't speak. We couldn't have an opinion or perspective if it was not for his permissive will. And then there is the overruling will of God. There are those seasons and times God just steps in and said, I'm not going to let him do it. To be a child of God is to look back at your life and thank God for those times when he vetoed our decision. When he said, no, it's just not going to come down that way. And then we think it's a bad thing and we look back and we thank God for saying no. When we wanted to say yes. We thank God for saying yes when we wanted to say no. Paul's call to ministry is different than others we see in the, in the word of God. Jeremiah, he understood that his ministry had prenatal and postnatal implications. He says, while I was in my mother's womb, you called me to be a prophet to the nations. It was in the, the luster of the transcendent vision that Isaiah experienced his call to ministry after God appeared on a throne high and lifted up. And, and the Bible says the cherubim surrounded it. 
And Isaiah said, I'm a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of an unclean people. And, and God responded to his humility and cleansed them. Then he said, who will go for us? And Isaiah said, here am I. Send me. Amos acknowledged he was just a common man, a gatherer of sycamore fruit. But God called him with a subtle solicitation to be a prophet to Israel. Saul was arrested and accosted against his will. Wasn't looking to be saved. God is reminding us in this text that he is in absolute control. There is another aspect of this text that we have to understand. Not only did God overrule Saul in his intent to persecute the church, but he was also overruling a decision that the church had made. In the first chapter of Acts, the church is told by God to wait for the promise of the Father that you've heard of me. And rather than waiting, somebody said, let's have a meeting. Because we need to replace Judas. I don't know how this happened. They said they cast lots. And the lot fell on Matthias. But this text in chapter 9 reminds us that it was never God's decision to choose Matthias to replace Judas. God already had made up God's mind about who would be the person to replace Judas. The only time we hear of Matthias in the New Testament is in Acts chapter 1 because after that he is a non-entity. Because it was God's decision to select Paul. He knew that on paper, folk would never choose Saul. Saul would never pass initial screening. But he was God's choice. Not Matthias. This demolishes the myth of our authority. As it relates to God's people, the only opinion that really matters is God's opinion. The only motion that matters is God's motion. At Kadesh Barnea, the vote was overwhelmingly in favor of not going into the land. It was 10 to 2. 10 of the leaders of the spies who went into the country said, no, we can't go in. We are just like grasshoppers before the giants of the land. I know there's milk and honey. We, we saw the fruit clusters, but no, we can't. And the children of Israel ratified the vote of the majority of their tribal leaders, revolting and rebelling and even threatening to stone Moses and Aaron to death. But the glory of the Lord appeared because the only motion that matters is God's motion. The glory of the Lord appeared and what would have been, could have been, should have been an 11-day journey became a 40-year death march. And they had to march one year for every day. They walked in the promised land and then disobeyed God. How could these people be so narrow-minded? How small-minded? They were in Egypt when the Lord delivered them with a mighty hand. How soon we forget 
Jonah's prejudice and bigotry and intolerance caused him to flee to Joppa rather than going to Nineveh where God had commanded him to preach a revival to Israel's ancient enemies. And what God did was reprogram the destination in Jonah's map quest. And he sent a great fish to swallow Jonah up. And when the fish got through with his work, he coughed Jonah up on the shores of Nineveh. God motions. And we got a second. We're living in an era now where God is allowing folk not to respond to the motion. Richard James Newhouse, the Episcopal priest who writes in Freedom from Ministry, we live in the day of disputed sovereignty because we've arrived in court before the king has been coronated. But the day will come. See, we're living in a day now when every knee have not bowed and every tongue has not confessed. Some folk haven't second the emotion yet. But the day will come when, when every knee shall bow. I don't care what you're driving. I don't care how much your house costs. I don't care where you graduated from. I don't care how expensive your clothes are. I don't care how much jewelry you got. I don't care how smart you think you are. Every knee shall bow. Paul had the equivalence of three PhDs. We know at a minimum he was trilingual and he thought he was right. But God had the motion. And Paul could only second. He left him blinded on the Damascus road. But he saw clearer than he ever seen before. Sometimes God got to take us down. Because we think we're all that. He got to take us down to get us up. God's in charge. And the only motion that matters is God's motion. He's the ultimate arbiter of our destinies. God's motion in relationship to sovereignty, God's motion in relationship to salvation. The grace of God in this text changed this son of Benjamin. People, listen, let me say this as slowly as I can say it. People can change. We all can change. And then I can I can say it now because the Lord has changed me. He's made a difference in my life. And I thank God when I do run in somebody who remember me back then, they know God's grace is amazing. Peter had this exclusivity problem, this parochial problem, and one day on a housetop in Joppa, God let a great sheet down while Peter had a vision, and Peter said, I can't eat it. All kinds of unclean things on the sheet. Peter said, I can't eat it, and God said to him, what I've cleaned, don't you call unclean. Some of us won't let other folk ever forget what they used to do. And that's part of the problem in the text. God had to get Ananias 
from thinking about what Paul used to do, what he used to be, to thinking about what he was now and what he could be by the grace of God. Don't you underestimate what God can do. I heard a story recently that has become the source of urban legend. It's about a man who frequented yard sales. And one day at a yard sale, he noticed an old Harley Davidson motorcycle behind a mattress that was for sale. He was a mechanic part-time and an enthusiast of motorcycles. And so we asked the person who was selling the motorcycle, is that for sale? And the man said, yeah, if you want it. It was beat up, tattered, it didn't look like much, but it was a Harley. He said, how much you want for it? He said, I want $35. He paid him, it didn't run, but he knew he could get it back in working condition. He paid him $35 and put the motorcycle, this old dilapidated, one running motorcycle in his truck and went home with it. And a few days later, he began his project of trying to rehabilitate the motorcycle. He took off the seat and noticed something strange. Under the seat was written these words to Elvis from Priscilla. It caught his attention. He picked up the phone and called Harley Davidson headquarters in Milwaukee and was transferred as he told his story from one department to another, with each department asking him to describe the motorcycle and describe what was written under it. Finally, the CEO picked up the phone. CEO asked him to describe it again. He said, now listen, I want you to do one other thing. Take off the fender and tell me if you see anything written under it. Took off the fender and the fender said, the king. CEO offered him $4 million for the motorcycle. Not because of the condition it was in, but because of who the owner was. <laughs> it's not our condition. That's the most important thing. It's who. It's who. It's who the owner is. I've been redeemed, not with corruptible things, but with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. The truth is, it's not your condition. It's who the owner is. God's glory appeared to Moses as he hid him in a cleft of a rock and caused his essence to pass by. But it wasn't just glory. It was grace in the midst of glory because what God said is, I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious to and I will be merciful to whom I will show mercy. God's motion and salvation don't you ever underestimate what God can do with a heart when he makes a motion finally God's motion 
as it relates to God's servants. Ananias is a model and mentor of the type of servant that God wants us to be. He was used of God to redeem a ruptured relationship and to assist someone who had been estranged from God, who had persecuted the church, who had perhaps even persecuted people that Ananias knew personally. Ananias was told by God to go to a street called Straight, and you're going to find Saul there. He's been dreaming already that you're going to show up and you're going to touch him and that he's going to receive his sight again. God did not have to send Ananias to Damascus, to the street. We've seen God heal people just by speaking the word. He didn't just want Ananias to tell him about the grace of God. He wanted Ananias to touch him. Telling is safe for us. We can keep a safe distance just by telling folks stuff. But sometimes you got to get out of your comfort zone. You got to take a risk. You got to take a chance and then touch. Move into somebody's situation. Move into someone's crisis. Move into someone's sense of estrangement and touch them. In the text, when he touched him, the scales fell off his eyes and his eyesight returned. Each one of us, we are all missionaries in the life of the church. We've got to reach out beyond our comfort zone. God has providentially, strategically placed each one of us in a position where we can touch. Wherever you are on your job, in the school you teach at, or the school you're a student at, in your neighborhood, telling in this day is not enough. We've got to touch. And we just can't touch folk who look like us. We can't just touch folk who we agree with. We can't just touch folk that stroke us. We can't touch folk and hold on to what happened yesterday. God, in the final analysis, chose not just to tell me. He came down through 42 generations. He's not a philosophical proposition. He's not a speculation to be proved. He came down through 42 generations to touch me. Shackled by a heavy burden, beneath a load of sin and shame, then the hand of Jesus touched me. And now, I'm no longer the same. He didn't wait till I got it together because he commended his love to me while I was yet a sinner and he touched me. And when he's touched us, we have a responsibility to touch other people. That's the opportunity that's before us. I believe that's God's motion. You have been listening to Advancing Word with Dr. T.D. Stubblefield. We pray that you have been encouraged with what your ears have heard and your hearts have felt. Explore our website at tdstubblefield.org for more information about us and to obtain resources provided by T.D. Stubblefield Ministries. Until next time, be blessed and remember to stop stressing and start stepping, advancing in faith, hope, and love by reading and applying the Word of God so you can stand on certain truth for uncertain times.